Now, I began a series several weeks ago uh, based on the first church mentioned in Revelation 2, church at Ephesus. And uh, from there, we went to the book of Ephesians, since it was written to that specific, specific congregation. And much of what John said about the Ephesian era certainly must have applied to even that physical congregation, because uh, what Paul wrote to the Ephesians mirrors it to some degree. Now, it's an encouraging book, just as the message in Revelation 2 was encouraging to Ephesus, but there was one fly in the ointment, and that is that they had lost the zeal, the commitment, the drive, the energy, the uh, heartfelt approach to God and to His church and to His people that is needed. And I want to, in a few minutes here, summarize the book of Ephesians. We went by it verse by verse, and you gain a lot from that, and that should be done. But on the other hand, a brief outline can hit the high points and maybe help us see the overall picture that was there in a brief microcosm uh, that puts it all together for us. So in chapter 1, he went through in an encouraging way, to show how special we are to be called of God and the importance of Christ as the chief cornerstone. That everything that's being done here has God's direction, His guidance, His calling. Everything about it is of God the Father. And that He commissioned His Son to begin a church of which He would be the chief cornerstone. So He goes back to show how special we are to God. And if we've been called in that age or in this age, and the Ephesian era is not gone, I believe we will see yet today that it is still here. And we pose the question, what if we are Ephesus? And that was the basis on which we examined these things. And I think that we find that everything here is pertinent to us. And certainly, the end time overall is a time when the prophecies themselves in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and so on, indicate that we need a very heartfelt turn to God with wholeheartedness. So the message to Ephesus certainly is kept alive by all the prophecies of the Old Testament that point to today. When you combine the message to the first era, Ephesus, to Laodicea, you find that that ingredient is missing from the beginning to the end. It is very hard for human beings to turn with all their heart, mind, body, and soul to God. It's easy to follow our desires, our wishes, our goals, our purposes, our hobbies, our this and our that, but it is very difficult and has been from Adam until today for mankind to truly put God first in his life. The first three commandments and the Ten Commandments are the hardest for people to keep. The very hardest. The others that follow all tie back into those first three. They have to do with human relationships, yes. But the relationship with God surpasses it all.
So he shows how special we are. And then secondly, uh, in chapter 3, basically, he shows how Christ benefits us. How God putting him there as our Savior and as our leader benefits us, what he brings to us, how he helps us, how he strengthens us, how he helps lead us to be a proper bride for himself and a proper family member in his father's family. Then he goes on down in chapter 4 and shows the importance of the church as a an organization and shows the different offices that were given there to lead us to be more like God and to become uh, spiritually mature, as he says, for the perfecting of the saints. Here we are, but we need rough edges knocked off. We need perfection and maturity for the work of the ministry, doing those things to serve the church that need to be done, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, to uplift it, to strengthen it, to uphold it, and make it fitting. So, the importance of the church as an organization, and then B, as a family. He goes on down to show that we are children, and not to be carried about and tossed around, but to grow up under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and not walk like the world walks, but to be new men, and to have true holiness, as Christ was holy. So, he sets a very high standard here for us, and shows that the church is a very important organism, both from an organizational and from a family and emotional standpoint. Then in chapter 5, he calls on us to be awake, to be alert, to be alive, to be zealous, to redeem the time, not to let this opportunity for training go unanswered, but to attack it. That's why he says in Hebrews that he takes no pleasure in those who shrink back, but those who move forward. Those are the ones he takes pleasure in. If you want God to take pleasure in you, don't be passive as a so-called Christian, but attack it. Attack life. Go after it wholeheartedly. That's the way we should live. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Live like you're stomping snakes, if you will. That can be a very frenetic activity. You don't want bit, and you want the snake dead, and if you're having to stomp it, you're both pretty active. doesn't mean we don't have time to relax and meditate and think. Remember, Abraham sat in the middle of the day, during the heat of the day, under a tree, and was meditating and cogitating and relaxing a bit uh, when Christ and the angels appeared to him. He jumped right up and killed the fatted calf, of course, but there is time for that. But what I'm trying to get across is that God wants us to be very alive, full of them, vigor, vitality, and verve, energy, spiritually speaking. And that is a difficult commodity to come by.
to use the time that is here. You know, it just goes by. It goes by so rapidly. And suddenly, you look around and you can barely look around. You're getting old and stooped and blind and deaf and wrinkled and everything else. And this human life just passes us by. So very rapidly it appears. When you're 16, it seems like life crawls and you'll never be 20 or 21. And when you hit 21, suddenly you're 35, and then it's just, boom, gone. So fast. Well, make use of it. Don't let it slip by. And it seems the time is moving faster now. It seems like 2009 just started, and here we are on the verge of June. It's nearly halfway over. Uh, because the way society is and the way events are moving, it just moves along so very, very rapidly. So we don't have time to waste. If we're wasting time, I think it indicates that we're not fully aware of how far we have to go and what we need to do and how we need to be. Okay, so chapter 5 is a call to being heartfelt, to, if you will, renew the first lot, to be as excited as we were when we first learned the truth. Then in chapters 5 and 6, he turns from the church family to getting our physical family relationships right between children and their parents, even servants and slaves in that day, and also then of our marriages, which should represent the marriage of Christ to the church. So there's quite a little there about that. These, these are the purposes and goals, the things we need to be working on at this time. Then in chapter 6, as well, he discusses the real enemy. That being Satan, the devil, principalities and powers of darkness, the rulers of this world. Satan is the present evil or present ruler of this evil world. And what we were hearing in the sermonette is a part of that. We, we need to understand that Satan is a very consistent being. He is also very helpful and willing to serve. He's always ready to help you fulfill your purposes. He is never ready to help you fulfill God's purposes. But if you really want to foul your life up, Satan is always ready to help you at your service. We need to grasp that our battle truly is a spiritual battle. But Satan began with Adam and Eve and so very quickly turned them from God to himself. And he's a master at it. So the real war is against not only Satan whom we can't see, but the culture, the society, and the world that he has devised and put before us. And it is not one aspect of life that he has perverted, fouled up, and made ungodly. 
He has supplied, especially now in this end time, a perversion of absolutely everything there is. Whether it be health, everything that we eat, he has put his hand to destroy, pervert, that it will cause sickness and death. We have trouble pulling ourselves away from white flour and white sugar and other recolored sugars and all the chemicals that are being used to pollute the food. But Satan is the ruler of this world, and he has led men's minds to pervert everything that we eat. He has led men's minds to affect the financial world so that we have become dependent upon a credit system. We've become dependent upon interest to get the things that we want. Our human nature is always there, always ready. And Satan has perfected a financial system that has taken us in. And we have to shake that off. We have to get away from it. And you know, these things are not easy. It's hard to give up pop and cookies and cakes and junk. And worse even than the refined flour and sugar are all the chemicals that are in the stuff that's in the so-called food stores. It's almost impossible now for us to get away from all that. Even if you just eat fruit and vegetables and so-called organic meat, it is, they lie on the labels too. What are you going to do? Well, we need, it says in Isaiah 52, to shake those bands off. Now, God intended for mankind each and every family to have his own vine, his own fig tree, to provide his food for himself. God intended you to provide your own milk and eggs and butter and vegetables and fruit and meat and those things that you eat. Now, we have allowed Satan to wrest that from us. We have, and even in this society, we started out more that way in early America. But he has worked the system around to the point that now big ag has taken over. Monsanto controls the seeds primarily, and on and on it goes to the point that people have moved off the family farms and gone to the city and gotten their credit cards and gone deep into debt on houses and cars and knickknacks and everything you can name, we do not have the discipline to wait until we can afford something, we're going to go buy it on credit. That is an abomination to Almighty God. Do we understand that yet? It's an abomination. It's satanic. We have to shake loose of this system. We have to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Can we resolve not to buy things that we cannot pay for on the spot?
God wants us to go there. He wants us to be providing as much as we possibly can our own food right here on this property. Now, is there a challenge? Yes, there is. The heat from the sun is a challenge. The fact that the land does not have everything it needs is a challenge. We have plenty of water for our gardens. Thank God. He brought us to this piece of land, I believe, specifically. Now, the world is lacking in sulfur. They're beginning to recognize we need more sulfur in our diet. God gave us a place where there's a little bit of sulfur in the water. And sometimes it tastes a little bit. But if you set it out on the sink before you drink it for a little while, it dissipates. I think God gave us what he gave us on purpose. Now, it's difficult for us. Why did he tell us to shake the bands off our neck? To break them? To quit being walked on and to sit up? And it was because he intends us to shake loose the bands of Satan... And he has perverted everything, our food, our financial system. He's perverted music. And most of the music that is played in this world today is perverted. And he has perverted every kind of music. We need, as much as we can, to divorce ourselves from this world and its system. Because it is Satan's system. And our battle is indeed spiritual. He is very cunning. He is very crafty. He is the fox guarding the hen house. And he has devised a culture that is appealing to people. God did not intend there to be cities. He says in Isaiah, Woe to them that build both house to house and even field to field, so that a man has no room. We need room to walk. We need room to not feel crowded. Now, thankfully, even though we tried to avoid that as much as we could here by giving each person at least one acre, more if they wanted it, it doesn't take very long, either by foot or four-wheeler car or horse, to get far enough from here that you don't have people around you and you can think and meditate and have a little elbow room. So we're in, in that sense, a pretty good location. But do we comprehend that everything in this society was designed to appeal to human nature, to our comfort, to our greed, lust, vanity, jealousy, and envy? Health, wealth, sex, music. If you want to foul your life up sexually, Satan has provided everything 
to allow that to happen. Any factor, any part of life. And this world is messed up. Now, why do we need the whole armor of God? Why do we need to turn to God with all our heart? Why do we need to break the bands of Babylon and get rid of the things that affect us in this culture? Because they're ungodly. They have been hand-designed by the present ruler of this earth to pull us away from God and to get us embroiled in a life where we have no time, we have no finances, we have no nothing to cope with the things around us. And if you think that being wealthy would resolve all those things and make life easy, no, it wouldn't. Because the wealthy have a high divorce rate. The wealthy have financial difficulties. The wealthy have health problems. It's not the answer. The answer is closeness to God. So why does he say, renew your first love? Put on the whole armor of God. Turn to God with your whole heart and turn loose of this culture around us. Yes, it can be frustrating to talk about it. It can be discouraging to realize that everything around you has been designed to destroy you. Everything. God gave Satan that ability, capacity, and power. Now, it need not be discouraging to us because we understand there is a God Almighty in heaven who's going to intervene, and very soon He's going to bring His kingdom to this earth. Pray, Thy kingdom come. Now we have to, if we're going to break the bands of Babylon that surround us, we have to recognize what's there, do we not? We have to recognize how and why it's evil to even make us desire to turn loose. Now we're beginning to see in capital letters with capital with uh, exclamation points how this world's financial system is wrong, are we not? Because they've used our greed, our jealousy, our envy, our selfishness, our materiality, and all those emotions that we have to suck us into a system that is now coming apart and is designed to destroy this nation. Designed to, and now it is being put into practice, to pull it apart and tear it down. See how we've been suckered? See? I read just the other day that with all the money they're creating at this moment, from about $50,000 per family debt that, that we owe, it's gone up to, what was it, 588000 or something like that per family? If you divide up what the federal government actually owes, we're in debt that much. Are you worth that? What about when the enemies come 
to claim what is rightfully theirs, because we've indebted ourselves to them. You're going to be able to fork up 588,000, or maybe it'll be up to a million a family by then, so that you don't have to go into slavery. Say, well, here, I'll just pay mine. I'm being speaking hypothetically, of course. But they're going to foreclose on us. See how we've been suckered. See why God says, get out of it? Come out of her, my people. Why he says in Zechariah 3, that here at the end time, when we start getting things right, we will have our own vine and our own fig tree. That is a goal and a purpose of this group of people. Do we grasp that? Now, I know we still have to pay taxes. We still have to work out in the world to some degree to support ourselves. But at the same time we're doing that, we need to be making every effort to become self-sufficient here. As self-sufficient as we can become. That should be a goal and a purpose. Now, is it difficult? Yes, it is. Does that mean we shouldn't try it? No, it doesn't. I think this, that if we will work at it, work toward it, put energy and effort into it, then God is going to supply that which is lacking at some point. And He is going to change conditions and give us an Edenic situation. He says that in several places that we've read and you're all familiar with. But do we just sit on our tails and wait for Him to do it all? God doesn't work that way. He never has. He has always, and Herbert Armstrong put it this way, God wants us to work as if it all depended on us. But then to turn in faith and trust God as if it all depended on Him. I didn't quote that exactly right, but that was the essence of what he said. And he was correct. We need to do our part and then expect God to make up the difference. He has always required his people to do their part. His blessings have always been contingent upon our performance. Always. Look through any of Israel's history. He's always said, if you will do this, then I will bless you. If you, will, if you do this instead, I'll curse you. It's always been that way. So if God tells us that in this age, just before the two witnesses come on the scene, that we're supposed to live under our own vine and fig tree, then we'd better plant a vine and a fig tree. Now, those are symbolic for many things you could plant. Whether it's wheat or broccoli or carrots, uh, it, it all falls under that uh, Well, what am I trying to say here? Under that scenario. We need to produce our own. There is less pollution here than in nearly all parts of the earth. There is less population around us than almost anywhere. God has given us water under this desert soil that we can use. And we should be trying to produce the basic necessities and foods of life right here. 
Now that is a monstrous change for us. It's so easy to go to the supermarkets and just pick out what we want. It's not just, brethren, that those things are polluted. It is also that the American way of life is an ungodly way of life. That's what we need to grasp. He intended small family farms. It's the way he's wanted man to live ever since Adam. It's the way we're going to live in the millennium, those who are physical. It'll be small family farms, each living under his own vine and fig tree, probably each family building their own home, or the extended family getting together and having a house raising or a barn raising or whatever. The Amish do have a few things right. And we need to live a lot more like them than we do like Donald Trump or movie stars or urban Americans who have their jobs and their apartments or their homes in the suburbs. That's what God intended and that's where we should be going. We need to shake the bands of the culture around us off our necks and sit up and quit being walked on. Formulate a plan to provide your own food. Formulate a plan to get out of debt and not go further into debt ever again. Period. It can be done. It must be done. Learn to manage your finances. Godly. Learn to manage your computer and your television and your radio and your iPod in a godly fashion. That's what we're here to do. Now, he takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. He takes pleasure in those who move forward to the saving of our souls. And we are at a point where the world is about to implode upon itself and most of the population of earth is going to die. We have been shown a better way. We have been shown a godly way. Now, will we embrace it with our whole heart and go for it? Or will we keep piddling along with a worldly system and have God have to take it away from us in the tribulation like he's going to take it away from everybody else? We have been given a golden opportunity. Do we grasp and understand that? Or does this sound like what I'm saying today is a burden? Oh no, we've got to garden, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. It can be done. You know, I told you, I think, last week that I had a, an orphan baby goat, little kid, had pneumonia, eyes all matted shut, nose snotty, so weak, hardly weighed anything, never learned to suck. Two weeks old, still couldn't suck even a bottle, much less a mother. And I yelled at it, and I cussed it. Don't you want to live? 
frustrating. You know what? About two days later, all of a sudden he started sucking the bottle. Now he attacks me when I go out. Sucks a bottle of milk down oh, a minute and a half. Full of life, eagerness, excitement. He's fixed. Now, was it a miracle? Well, if you looked at him back then, I think Marlon and I both say almost had to be a miracle of God. I don't know that he does that with our little animals, but there was a point of desperation. I prayed and asked God, help me help it live. And it did get better and it did live. So maybe for my sake, not necessarily for the goat, because a goat's a goat. But maybe for my sake, God helped there a little bit and gave me encouragement. I'm no cattleman or goat man or sheep man. I've been around them a little bit in my life, but I, I don't know much about it. But that one's living. He's happy. He's running around as one of the guys with the rest of them out there now. So it can be done. But we need to learn these things. I appreciate some of you who lived in town most of your lives and you're out here trying to raise sheep and goats yourselves and trying to learn to milk and trying to learn to garden and trying to do a lot of things. And there are challenges involved. But we need to wholeheartedly accept God's wisdom in the best way to live. And He wants us right now to be forerunners of the millennium. He wants us to be an advanced party to show the world God's way of life. And it's not just by being friendly when you meet people in a store. I mean, how do they equate that with God? Well, okay, those people are friendly. Fine. There are other people on earth that are friendly. But God expects more than that of us. He expects us to show this world, which has gone into a totally satanic direction in its society, how God would wish people to live. And that way is found in the pages of the Bible. We need to separate ourselves from all the pollution and the chemicals and the junk and the sugars and the refinements and all the stuff that Satan has led men's minds to do out of greed and selfishness and in his overall desire to see every person on earth be sick and die. And especially those who understand God, and he wants us to be sick and die spiritually, not just physically. So we have a fight on our hands. That was a primary part of the message to the Ephesians. And if it be chance that we are of that group, then we need to listen to this very carefully. You have to understand the wiles of Satan, the methods of Satan. And while you don't see him, you see a society that he has built from the ground up. And it's an evil, foul, wrong kind of living.
There are people who think that the cities are convenient. I knew one man who understands a lot of truth and says, well, I don't want to live out in the country. I need to be near Staples. Well, we need to comprehend that that's not God's way of life. Sure, it's, I guess, handy to be near Staples and your favorite restaurant and uh, whatever else you like in town. Now, we should be putting our roots down in this land that God has virtually given us, and our interests should be here in farming, in livestock range of uh, raising, learning to live under our own vine and fig tree. Now, if you still have desires to go to town, to shop, to go to the movies, to eat out, all those things, we need to be changing that. In other words, if your heart is still in town while your body lives out here called God said to, then there needs to be a change of heart. If you can hardly wait to get to town two or three or four or five times a week, your heart has not changed. Now, am I saying we should never go to town? No, right now we have to in some cases, and we have to work there. But the day is coming when there will be total separation. And we will die with the rest of the world unless we are totally separated from it and protected of God. And we should be moving in that direction as fast as we possibly can. Now, I'm not saying these things to frustrate, to discourage, to anger, to correct in that sense. I'm saying these things in order that we might get a better picture of what it is that God would have us to do, to better understand what our goals and purposes should be, so that we can please God in the way that we live, and so that we can then enjoy His blessings, and that once we have done our utmost to live according to His plan and purposes, then He will give us the rain in due season, and He will give us a covert from the heat, and He will give us the things we need to live in truly a garden of God, as He says, I think, in Isaiah 51. But we have to do our part. So, I'm not saying you've got to hate everything in the world without giving you a better answer. We do have to separate ourselves from this world of Satan the devil, and the way we separate ourselves is by beginning to pursue with our energy the way that God would have us live both physically and spiritually. We have to keep the Sabbath both ways, don't we? We have to physically rest our bodies, and yet at the same time, Isaiah says not to think our own thoughts or pursue our own desires on that day. So it is both a physical and a mental exercise. And living God's way of life in the millennium is both. You both need to go up to worship the Eternal. You need to pray. 
You need to pay attention to God, the Father, and Christ, His Son, who will be living here in the temple on earth during that time. And yet, He still wants us to have small family farms and live under our own vine and fig tree and be self-sufficient. That's what the millennium is really all about, is not having to depend upon others and have everyone around us pollute everything that we touch, but everything to be natural in the way that it ought to be. Peaceful, happy families working together, not wives going out to work and husbands going out to work and children being left home to their own devices or raised by uh, grandmothers or aunts or, or what am I trying to say, child uh, care centers. We are so torn apart from God's way. We're messed up by divorce. We're messed up by sin. We're just messed up in every way. God wants us to get away from that and begin to be pioneers. The people in the little house on the prairie were pioneers. I mean, that, that scenario. The Amish, in one sense, are pioneers. Now they've grown into a society that has a terrible culture around it, and yet they've stuck to some of those things that God intended in the beginning. They don't understand God. They don't understand His plan. But they do understand a little bit about a better way to live. And we need to be copying some of those things. Or, not necessarily copying them. You don't have to start sewing those dresses. But just doing what God says in here. To live God's way of life. And that is to produce... A family to produce virtually everything that it needs. The closer we can get to that, the closer we are to the way God intended us to be. I'm spending a little time on this, and I'm doing it for a very important reason. Because we need to grasp and have a vision of what God desires of us and try to go there as much as we can. So it's not a matter of just you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do something else. It's a matter of here's something we really need to get our hearts in and can do. Now, the young among us wonder, am I going to marry? Am I going to have children? Am I going to live a normal, in that sense, life? Well, some of you will go into the millennium and you will live under the way that I am talking about today. Now, wouldn't it be neat if you captured the idea and you began to plant your own little garden, you began to raise your own little animals, you began to do some of these things that God would have us do and learned how. And then you could be leaders in the world tomorrow because you've already learned what your grandmothers and great-grandmothers and grandfathers knew and the way they lived. And a lot of people say, I'd like to have lived back in the 1800s. I'd like to have lived when things were different. Well, here's your chance. We need to go back to those ways before the pollution really hits so hard. You need to be learning those skills. 
you need to come so that that is part of your life. Because I will guarantee you that all the bells and whistles and electronics and the junk and stuff that's out there that pulls your attention is all going to be destroyed and go away very shortly. It won't even exist. Car manufacturers are already going under. Television and computer companies are desperate and they're going broke. And the way of life that we have come to know in this world is very quickly coming apart. People are moving out of their McMansions and into tents. Abraham lived in a tent. Now those people are in desperate straits because the society that Satan built is destroying them. They bought into it, and now it is ruining their lives. We bought into his way of eating and producing chemical foods, and it's destroying our health. And on and on it goes. Our minds and emotions are being destroyed by the misuse of music and sex and various other things. We must divorce ourselves from this world and understand the spiritual battle that is out there. You may not see the devil, but you can certainly see what he's done. It's like the wind. You cannot see it, but you can see what it does. Now, I said I was going to spend a few minutes summarizing that. I guess I'm almost done. But this spiritual part that he's talking about here is so very important to us. And to understand that Satan understands we're human, even as God does. And he understands that you and I have spiritual goals and purposes. And he wants to frustrate those. Now you say, well, we just need to be spiritual. All this physical stuff doesn't count. Yes, it does. I touched on that a little bit earlier. The Sabbath you keep both physically and spiritually. It, it has to do with your physical body and also that which goes on in your mind. And when God has designed human beings to live in a certain format, the vine and fig tree and self-sufficiency, then that is the format that we actually best function in. It's the format we will be the happiest and most at peace in. But getting from here to there is difficult. And we've looked to this world and its culture and its things to make us happy, and yet our society is not happy. And we keep trying to feed those material desires and have more things because they've imprinted into us the idea that the more things we have, the happier we'll be. And it doesn't work that way. The eye is never satisfied with hearing or, or seeing or the ear with hearing. We always want more. And more of the things that never satisfied in the first place. We need to go back to taking satisfaction and seeing a little seed planted and seeing it grow and seeing it produce 
and seeing the miracle of life and growth. But we have been so strung out emotionally with the things of this world that excite us and interest us so that we've forgotten those simple things and we are so sophisticated that the simple is no longer exciting or important to us. Now, how do you change that? You know, as one person put it, how do you keep them in Pocatello when they've been to the big city? They've already seen all these glittering things. Now, how do you go backward from that? Or actually forward, but back to that which was good. How do you unlearn music? How do you unlearn dietary and financial habits? How do you unlearn those things and learn that which is correct and right and simple and true? Now, God understands that He has to completely and utterly destroy every vestige of this culture and society that Satan has built. And before this is done, less than 10% of the present population of the earth will still be alive. It is going to take that much to undo the garbage that Satan has laid on us. Now, we have the challenge today of unlearning it through prayer, through study, through meditation, and through practice. To go out and start doing those things that we need to do to return us to the vine and fig tree state. And that God will see that effort, and He will grant us a pre-millennium millennium, if you will, or pre-millennial conditions. Millennium means thousands, so we're not, it's not going to last a thousand years. I'm not talking about timing here, I'm talking about conditions. And we have read many, many scriptures which show us how God is going to give us the Garden of God and the Garden of Eden, how He's going to turn things around. And I think He put us out in this waste-howling desert, maybe raining at the moment, but for the most part, we're out in the desert. Because the transformation has to be so complete that we start from scratch with the worst. He could have put us in Iowa. He could have put us in Ohio. He could have put us in Kansas. He could have put us where rain comes and crops grow easily. No. He wants a bigger show than that. He wants it turned around in such a dramatic way that the world cannot deny it. He put us in dire conditions, hard conditions, on purpose. He could have put us anywhere on earth, couldn't he have? He built Zion here. He put the promised land here. He's going to restore it to Edenic conditions. He's going to start doing it at the end time, right where it began in the first place. 
God works that way. It's just that we have to go through some trauma and show our willingness to do things God's way first, and then He will add the blessings. Israel had to go through the desert. They had to trust God at the Red Sea. They had to come through the sea with the Spirit and the power of God. And we have Pentecost tomorrow picturing that, among other things. So now is a good time to take these things out and look at them a bit. And to capture the vision of what God would have us do. And know that He is going to follow through with His part if we do ours. Now they griped and complained and murmured when they came across the Red Sea because conditions were not exactly as they would like to have them. There wasn't water running out from every rock. There wasn't lots to eat around them in that desert. They were led there on purpose to see what their attitudes would be, to see how they would react. Would they react to God in heaven who brought them through the Red Sea and set them on the other side in the desert and trust Him to take care of them and do their level best to do their part, and then have God bless them? Or would they murmur and gripe and complain and become discouraged and frustrated because things weren't then as they wanted them? And being human, and being what they were, they chose to gripe and complain and grouse and turn against God. Now, we're at a crossroads. God has brought us here, I think, miraculously. He almost gave us this land. He made sure it had water under it. He put it in a place where things would be difficult on purpose. And he said, now, how will you react? Will you go about building your own vine and fig tree? Will you go about changing from the way this world is, breaking its bands so that you no longer want to go there, but you want to do things His way? And then go all out in effort to try to make the switch. And it's not easy. And we are still somewhat dependent on this world around us with jobs, we have to have dollars to pay taxes and get permits and all the things that you have to do in this world. So it puts us in a transition period is what it does. We're still somewhat dependent on the world, but at the same time we're divorcing ourselves from it and we're beginning to plant and do the things we need to do here. And if we make that transition, and as we make it, God is going to begin to bless us in it. And it will get better. And then it will suddenly get much better. Because God has promised that. So I'm not angry. I'm not correcting us. I'm trying to show us 
what God would have of us. And help us get going more in that direction. Now, I know that we're headed that way. And a lot of you are planting gardens, and a lot of you are raising animals, and a lot of you are trying to make the transition, and that's what we should be doing. But I want to draw a little, maybe clearer picture of what God wants us to be doing here. Not just sitting here, going to work, paying the bills, and waiting for the Lord to come. No, we need to be transitioning to His way of life and away from the worldly way of life. And the sooner we can do that, the sooner He can begin to bless us and give us those things that make it easier for us to do. He's brought us to the promised land, but we have to till it, plant it, sow it, water it, prepare it, and then God is going to restore the blessings that the promised land had. So there's a challenge here to make the switch. That's why he put it the way he did. Sit up. Don't let this world and Satan's way walk on you. Sit up and break the bands that hold you down and hold you slave to this world and its systems. Don't be a slave financially. Don't be a slave health-wise. Don't be a slave in all the ways of this world. God has provided a way out of Babylon, out of Egypt. We have to take it. He never said the road would be easy. So let's understand and then let's embrace and move forward as best we can to do things the way God would have a society be. Families working together to produce their own food. Parents should be involved. The children should be involved. You shouldn't just tell the kids, go cut the weeds, but you should garden together. You should take care of animals together. It is building family relationships and at the same time building the same, the kind of society God would have that is important. Children will become interested in it as they see their parents doing it and encouraging the children to help them with it. So many times we make the mistake of saying, well, put the kids to work. Well, that's right, the kids should work. But we need to work with them, not just make them go do it. Now, some things they need to go do, yes. They need chores, they need responsibilities. But it needs to be a family effort. Everybody working together to produce. That's what Ephesians is talking about. Get your family relationships right. Get your relationship with God right. We're special. We've been called. Now let's get it right. You need to be out providing the food for your family here. If you have to work for a while yet out in the world, do that too. But straddle that fence as long as you have to and do what you can here and have your children learning that. You should not be out taking care of the garden and the animals while the kids are watching the television or playing. They should be out there helping you do it. 
That's how you get the family relationships right. It creates rebellion if you make them go do it all. But if you do it with them, how can they rebel against that? Then it's their problem. Work together. That's what families do. We work together here to help each other when someone has need. That's what families do. Isn't it wonderful that if you need something done, somewhere on this property you can find someone who will help you with it? I'll guarantee you that's the case. Someone here will drop what they're doing or want to do and they'll come help you. I've seen it over and over and over again. We're building a family. Now build your personal family along the same lines. Have your own vine and fig tree. Understand, we've got to take on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and all those things he mentions here. Against Satan the devil, who has created a society that's here to draw us away from God. And don't let him do it. Go back to God's way of living. I don't know of anything more important that we could discuss here and try to get our minds and our emotions around. I realize it's hard. I realize it goes against the way we were raised. It goes against the grain of the way America is going today. But it should startle us awake to see the society that was the American way crumbling around us. Well, it's the American way. Well, it's the American way to destruction. And it won't survive much longer, much less thrive. The thriving's over. The surviving is barely. And the surviving is nearly over. There is a better way. Now, the fruits show. God says you'll know them by their fruits. We have all been proud of our American way, haven't we? Proud to be an American, you'll see on bumper stickers. Raise the flag. The American way is the way the world wants to live. The great American dream. It is a false system. And the fruit of that system is being born today. The tree is dying and the fruit is falling off. That's where we are. So think deeply about that. Did the American way work? No, it was Satan's way. He had his way with us. And boy, is he ever going to have his way with us in the next months and years. God's way is a better way. We've been conditioned to the American not and the satanic, not the godly way. And I know it takes transition. It takes getting your head and your mind around these things. But we need to go back to the simple, not the technological, and not the sophisticated way that we see around us. God wants things done in a very simple, straightforward, effective manner. 
and each person taking care of his own needs is the goal and the purpose we should be shooting toward. It won't be easy, and you can't just quit your job today and come out here and raise carrots and thrive. That day is coming. Those jobs are simply going to go away. And money is going to go away. The dollar, American dollar, is on its way out. And those who survive will be the ones who do it the way we're talking about today. And God will bless those who do it that way. So when he says break those bands, they're bands of iron. They don't come off easy. This takes effort. It takes dedication. It takes closeness to God. It takes understanding how much Satan pervades this society and cutting out everything we can. You know, sometimes we go about it rear end first. We look at it and examine, well, what can I save out of it? Well, I know this and this and this is wrong, but what can I keep of it? That's not the right attitude to approach it. The right attitude is it's ungodly. How can I possibly get rid of it all? And some of it you can't quite get rid of yet. But the emotion and the purpose and the desire should be to see <laughs> that it's evil clear through and be finding ways to get it off our shoulders. Not, what can I cling to? But that is very often the attitude you'll run into. Well, if everything's so bad out there, what can I keep? Can I keep this? I'll do away with this. Can I keep this? Wrong approach. Backward approach. You can go through life butt first if you want to, but that's the backward way of going. The right answer is, it's all evil. How? Can I turn loose of all of it? And it's kind of like trying to turn loose of a wildcat. They got mouths and claws, and it's trying to get away from you, and, and so you get claw marks and bite marks all over you. This world really doesn't want to turn us loose. So let's approach it with the right attitude. How do I turn loose with the least amount of scratches and bites? What can I get rid of? What can I change? How can I get to God's way of living? Total change of attitude. See what I mean? Now, does that attitude come automatic? No. We have to change our approach. Be not conformed to this world and, and trying to keep the conformity in ways that we can hold on to, but to be totally transformed, totally changed. Totally different approach and outlook to it. And that's what God expects of us. Quit looking at it through Satan's eyes. Because ultimately that's what we're doing. If you're clinging to something that Satan created, you're looking at it through his viewpoint, through his eyes. Now, if he created it, it's got to be foul and evil on some level. 
It may appear righteous, but have an evil twist. So there may seem be some things out there you think, well, that's probably okay. No, it's probably not. It's probably got some little twist on it that is going to lead you in a wrong direction because he's very subtle. So change the entire attitude and start saying, this world is the devil's world. He's the prince of the power of the air and the present ruler of this evil society. Can we internalize that? Can we believe that? That everything around us is evil. And say, God has been forgotten. Satan has deceived the whole world. And the degree that we accept this world, its culture, and its society is the degree to which we are accepting Satan, the devil, personally. The more we grasp that it's upside down and backward, and that we need to turn to God's way, as outlined in this book. Now, Abraham was a man who thought spiritually, did he not? David was a man of God's own heart. Look at the Psalms he wrote. Those were men who had their spiritual minds aligned correctly. Sometimes they got off, yes. But they paid great attention to God in heaven and to the spiritual. And yet at the same time, they lived in a certain physical way. Abraham had his flocks and his herds. So did Isaac and Jacob. So did Joseph. And those are the ones that God says we need to turn our hearts to. So they lived a horticultural, agricultural way of physical life, and yet they attended to the spiritual things at the same time. So God wants us to live physically the way he intended mankind to live from the beginning, And what did he give Adam and Eve? A beautiful garden to tend and to keep, to take care of the plants and the animals that were there. That was the garden of Eden. That was the garden of God. That is how God expects us to live and intends us to live. That's the way they'll live in the millennium in the kingdom of God. Now, we need to get as close to that as we can today. Now, that's not evil. That's not bad. That's godly. Now, he expects us to start that under adverse conditions for it to be difficult. But if we'll head in that direction and do our level best to produce right here, then he'll make up the difference because he's a God who pays attention to what his people do. out of time, and that's what I had to say anyway, or what I think God had to say, because I didn't plan to say all those things. I plan to very quickly summarize Ephesians 6 and move on, but it just seems like God wanted me to go here, wanted me to say these things.
because he wants us to get a picture of what we need to be doing. As the world crumbles around us and shows the fruits of Satan's and man's way, we need to be going in a different way just as fast as we can to get away from it, to get loose from it, and to depend upon our God in heaven. So take those things seriously. I'm not, as I said, I'm not angry at all. I'm not correcting in that sense. I'm trying to guide us and lead us to a better understanding of what God would have us do, both spiritually and physically, to create an example to the world, because they sadly need it. And if it's so, it needs to be a witness against this world and its way. But we're called, as Isaiah 41 through 43 say, to be God's witnesses. You people are God's witnesses to this world of His way of life. And we've been talking about His way of life today and what He would want us to do. So this is a directional type sermon. This is the way we ought to be changing our minds and emotions to go because it's what God would have us be to be an example to the world. Not just be friendly, not just have them say, well, they keep the Sabbath, they must be the children of God. No. We're here to show that Satan's way of life is the wrong way and that there is a better way. And I'll guarantee you, we will be closer as a group and we will be closer as individual families if we begin to go in the way that God intended people to live. It's just a law. It's the truth. It works. And mankind has rarely done it. So let's show the world that it works. Let's get it done. However hard and difficult it is, let's get it done. And then God will be pleased with us. So I think our heart not only has to be an emotional closeness to God, but I think our whole way of life has to turn in a wholehearted way to do things according to God's plan and purpose and His best wishes for the way man, as human beings, should live 